Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. Hey guys, today we're talking about a super fun topic. We're talking about conflict. How many of you love conflict? Who doesn't love a good argument or fight against friends, right? Or within friends? Well, you're going to learn something new about me. If you didn't know this already, I hate conflict. I'm more of what you would call a pacifist. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. I guess I just want to be super blessed because I hate conflict. Nevertheless, conflict is a part of reality. There's really no way to avoid it. To live without any conflict is to be disconnected from reality. There's no reality apart from conflict. There's conflict amongst best friends. There's conflict amongst family members. There's conflict with coworkers, classmates, neighbors, and yes, even with the church family dynamic. What this means for us then is that we have to learn how to deal with conflict because there really is no avoiding it. You know, and since we have to learn to deal with conflict, we want to do so from a place that is biblical and honors God. In the world, there's different ways of resolving conflict. There's, I'll ignore you, never talk to you again, change my number, cross the street when I see you way of resolving conflict. There's the, we can settle this right here, right now, take our shirts off, take our shirts off, hold my bag, take off my earrings, bring your knuckles up, let's get on World Star way of resolving conflict. There's the scream, yell, cuss each other out, argue until you're blue in the face, look like absolute fools, and end up on a viral TikTok video way of resolving conflict. But here's the thing. The Bible gives us an alternative way to resolve conflict, especially for those who are part of the family of God. We have a different way to resolve conflict. You can do that other stuff if you want, and the truth is that's probably what you've been doing so far, but how is it working for you? What about instead we look into God's word to see what we can learn and apply in our relationships about resolving conflict? When you enter a relationship, it's all roses, rainbows, and unicorns at first. Even the little uh, nuisances that are cute at first, right? Like you think it's so cute how he chews with his mouth open, or you think it's so cute how her breath smells like the buffalo exhibit at the zoo. But after you get married and when you have lived enough time with someone, even the little things become annoying. And little things, some way, somehow, work their way to become conflict if you're not careful. Now we're not talking to each other. Now someone's sleeping on the couch. And you have to worry if she put poison poison in your coffee. It's the same thing within the church family context as well. If you're new to a church family or if you've been disconnected for some time, I hate to break it to you, but the church is actually made up of imperfect people. I know. I know. It's a real shocker. Of course, here you come. You're the only perfect one, by the way, and and everyone else is here imperfect. And guess what happens when imperfect people get together? There's the potential for conflict. Now, I'm making fun of it a little, but the long and short of it is that conflict is unavoidable. How we handle it is up to us. You can do it the worldly way, or you can do it the biblical, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying way. But let's not kid ourselves. The church is full of imperfect people following a perfect God. So then what we ought to do is look to a perfect God to help us and teach us 
on how to navigate relationships within imperfect people. So today we're going to answer the question, how do we deal with conflict? And to do so, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. In today's passage, Paul introduces us to women, Judea and Syntyche. They're both uh, from the church in Philippi, and we know this about both of them. They absolutely both love the Lord, but they've had a falling out. And apparently, apparently, the fallout was big enough that it got to Paul's ears all the way from his imprisonment. And while we don't know the exact details as to what got them so heated, it was serious enough that he actually takes the time to include them by name in the letter. Uh, this is one of only a very, very few times where Paul actually calls out people by name in his letters to rebuke them this way. When Paul would write his letters to the churches, they would be read out loud to the congregation. Can you guys imagine these two ladies being in the crowd the day that Paul's letter was being read and hearing their names called out? I think this tells us two things. First of all, serious things need to be addressed in a serious manner. We can't be all grace, 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 and no truth. This is what the scriptures tell us of Jesus, that he was both full of grace and truth. Sometimes, guys, we need to talk seriously about serious things. Unfortunately, not everything can be sugar-coated in life. Serious topics, serious conflicts, serious issues need to be treated and dealt with as such. Sometimes in our lives, we just need to, we need the junk weeded out. And when those occasions arise, it needs to be dealt with in a serious manner. And sometimes it needs to be dealt with publicly, depending on the severity of the offense. The second thing I think this teaches us is that there is hope and reconciliation that can happen moving forward. Things don't have to come to an abrupt end. There is grace within the truth that can lead to forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. In this particular example, there's no dismembership. There's no abstaining from attaining worship services and participating in community. In other instances in Paul's letters where sin, the sin was grievous and where the person was unrepentant, they were to no longer be welcomed into the church family, but that was not in this case. So how do we deal with conflict? Three pieces of advice from today's passage. Here's number one. We fight for unity. Let's look at today's passage and read the first part. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. You guys might want to underline that part there in your notes. You see, guys, we, we live in a world that is full of disunity. We oftentimes want to be known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're known, we're known more for what sets us apart than what brings us together. And we see this in everything from politics to sport teams and everything in between. But in this passage, Paul calls the ladies to put their differences to the side for a moment and to gather around the only thing that matters, to agree in the Lord. If we can gather around this essential truth and make this the most important thing in our lives, it can help promote gospel unity. What exactly caused the conflict between the two ladies? We don't know. What are some of the things that have caused conflict with you in your past? This might give you an idea into what their conflict may have looked like. Maybe one of the ladies didn't like the way the other one looked at her. You know, if she thinks she's all that. You know, maybe one borrowed the cake pan and never gave it back. Maybe it was the way she scolded her kid, or she didn't like her tone. Or maybe she thought she was getting a little too flirty with her husband. We're not exactly sure, but the bottom line is that the conflict got to a point that it was not only making it uncomfortable for the church, not only was it becoming a threat to unity, 
But it was so severe that it actually got to Paul's ears. When we look at the book of James in the New Testament, he gives us a good idea into what it all boils down to. In James 4, verse 1, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? James says that the cause of conflict ultimately is the passions inside of you, your own sinful desires. Ultimately, it comes down to, as it often does, to pride. Two people unwilling to forgive, to come to a resolution and to fight for unity. It's pride. So Paul calls them to agree in the Lord. In other words, to try and find a solution. Not to agree on whatever particulars they're arguing over, but to look at the common ground. They're both sisters in Christ. They're both children of God. They're both pursuing and fighting for unity. And for, and for In order for this to happen, it takes incredible humility. It takes humility to be able to identify that the conflict is causing disunity. To recognize that this, this unity is not good for us. It's not good for our church family. It's not good for the cause of Christ. And it's definitely not good for our witness as followers of Jesus. It takes humility for both parties to draw the conclusion that for the good of the body of Christ, we need to pursue a solution and resolve this conflict. We also need generous forgiveness. And forgiveness sometimes means swallowing your pride and extending forgiveness to the other person for the greater good of the local church and the global church, the body of Christ. When we forgive, we mimic Jesus. Did you ever consider that we are like Christ when we extend forgiveness? As Christ extended forgiveness to those who harmed Him, as God forgives us of our sin and reconciles us to Himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, as we have been forgiven generously, we can also forgive others generously as well. And we also need compromise. When, when it comes to determining the solution or the way forward, compromise is necessary. So how are we going to move past this hurdle so as to progress unity and not take away from it? It may mean having debts forgiven. It may mean involving a third person to sit in on the conversation and help map out a compromise and a way forward. It may mean that at least for a season, since the relationship has suffered so much harm, the closeness and friendship that once was will have to regress or maybe even take a break. We might need to work to build trust again one step at a time. What we want to do is fight for unity because God is a God of unity. Our spiritual enemy loves this unity. He loves dissension, argumentation, and division because he knows the divided body cannot stand against him. And that's why when it comes to resolving conflict, we begin right here. We fight for unity. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of one body. We're in submission to one God. We are one in Christ Jesus, the scriptures teach us. So we fight for unity. The second piece of advice for us today when it comes to conflict is that we want to be a true partner. All right, let's look at today's passage yet again. It says this, I urge Eudia and I urge Synthache to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. Here it appears like Paul is giving a general call to the church to step in and help with this particular situation. Since the church is a family, there's a support role that other brothers and sisters in Christ can play to help resolve conflict. We have an incredible privilege and a weighty responsibility to be a true partner in the gospel. Not simply to step in and save the day, we're not God, but we are partners with Him in reconciliation. And what this means is that when you're experiencing conflict, sometimes you need to ask for help. 
You can't always try to resolve things on your own. You can't always depend on yourself to save the day. And it takes an incredible amount of humility to seek and listen to godly counsel from others. It takes humility to own your end of the conflict, to admit your faults, to confess your sin. We have a tendency to always play the victim, but a person full of hum the humility of Christ can see where they've fallen short in conflict. So sometimes it's necessary to invite others in to help resolve the conflict. And Paul here calls the person or a group of people a true partner. So allow me to give you some advice on how to be a, a true partner. First of all, be a good listener. Someone once said, God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we talk. Most of us love to talk and we have a lot to say. Sometimes one of the most helpful things that we can do is listen. The Bible says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So don't come in to save the day because you're not Superman or Wonder Woman. Take time to listen and truly understand the conflict. Understand what each person is trying to communicate. Try to listen to the heart behind what is causing the offense. If we're able to listen closely, we might be able to make an informed response and actually help people towards finding a resolution, which is the next piece of advice, and that is to help work towards a resolution. Help them work towards compromise. Help walk them towards restoration if at all possible. Don't just egg on the argumentation. Avoid the reflex that makes humans pull out the cell phones when they see a fight break out. Instead, be a peacemaker. Point them towards resolution. And lastly, give godly counsel. In order to do so constantly, bring it back to the scriptures. Constantly pray with them before, after, throughout, and during the conversation. Challenge them to surrender to God's word, God's will, and God's design. And always bring it back to what God's best for them. The last piece of advice from today's passage when it comes to helping in conflict is to keep the gospel in front. All right, let's look at today's passage one last time. I, I urge Yudia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul mentions in the passage that these were women who had contended for the gospel along with him. They were people who were ministry-minded and that had an obvious passion and zeal for the gospel. This means that they are followers of Christ without a shadow of a doubt. These were Christian women having a conflict. And Paul was calling them to resolve their conflict and to keep the gospel out in front. As followers of Jesus, as contenders of the gospel, we are also to have our conflicts resolved by being shaped by the gospel. There's always a temptation to forget the gospel. By the way, this is why we do communion every week, I swear, to help remind us of the gospel. This is why we teach the gospel every week and pull the gospel out from the pages of scripture. The same temptation applies even to our conflicts. When in conflict, all of a sudden, our identity as followers of Christ tends to go out the window. When we find ourselves in conflict, we're quick to turn to, I'm, I'm from Bushwick, yo. You don't want the Bushwick to come out because I can settle this argument real quick. We're real quick to get to that. But that's not keeping the gospel out in front. To keep the gospel in front means that I remember that my identity is in Christ. That I'm a child of God redeemed by faith in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And as such, I represent Christ. I follow Christ. I mimic Christ. 
To keep the gospel in front means I remember that the other person I'm in conflict with is made in the Imago Dei. The person we have conflict with is made in the image and likeness of God, which means that they have intrinsic value and worth, therefore they are to be treated as such. To keep the gospel in front means that I remember that we're both products of grace. As we've been extended grace and forgiveness, we can in turn extend grace and forgiveness. This is one thing that we have in common, so we keep the gospel in front. Allow me to conclude our time this way. The, the greatest conflict that has been resolved, that to have been resolved in our lives, is the beef that we have with God. Our sin created a cosmic conflict between us and God, but in a fight between us and God, we lose every time. But God in His infinite love and mercy and His kindness and patience towards us entered our mess in the person and work of Jesus. The whole purpose of Jesus was to settle this conflict between us and God. We sinned against a holy and righteous God, and the only way to resolve the conflict was to be holy and righteous. And since we're incapable of such, Jesus came and lived the life that we were incapable of living. He was innocently led to die a barbaric death so that we would look upon the bloodied cross it would demonstrate to us the severity of which the sin, our sin was dealt with. They put the bloodied carcass of Jesus in a tomb. The sinless lamb of God had been slaughtered. But on the third day, because you cannot keep the author of life within the confines of a grave, he conquers Satan's sin and death. So that when God looks down on us, he no longer sees our wickedness, but we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And for all who put their faith in the finished work of Jesus, our eternal conflict with God can be resolved. We can experience forgiveness of sin, eternity, and a new life right now. Our, eternity, our eternal conflict is resolved by the blood of Jesus. By His stripes, we are healed. And if you have yet to experience His love, I encourage you to do so today. For all of us, we desire to be a church founded on the gospel, full of Christ's love. Conflict pops up, but when it does, we're going to fight for unity. We're going to pursue it. Let's aspire to be true partners. Help foster reconciliation. Help work towards a solution. Give good godly advice and be good godly examples. Now let's keep the gospel in front because we have been so freely forgiven by Jesus. We can forgive others. We can live as children of God and lead with grace for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to fight for unity. When this unity enters, help us be able to identify it, to reject it, and to pursue unity because you are a God of unity. So help us to be peacemakers. God, help us to be true partners of the gospel. Help us fight the urge to speak and instead to be good listeners so that we can give good godly counsel. Help us be agents of reconciliation. God, help us to keep the gospel in front. We thank you because our conflict with you has been resolved by the humility and sacrifice of Jesus. And since we've experienced so much grace, help us give grace. Help us teach grace. Help us show grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?